Welcome to the Modern Cloister, where we cultivate deeper thinkers and worshipers through conversations about the Christian life. In the same spirit as the community conversations that took place during the Reformation at the Black Cloister, the former monastery and home of Martin Luther and his wife, Katharina von Bora. Today, we're excited to launch the first episode in our Month in Review series. And as we do so, we want to give you a quick overview of how these episodes are going to work. Each month, at the end of the month, we're going to discuss four to five items of interest that have been happening in the world and culture around us. The first two to three topics are going to be things that both of us have agreed upon are the top stories coming out of the month, either because they're things that Christians should know about or because there are things happening in the world that have significance and implications for how we should think about them and engage with those around us. For each of those, we're going to provide some basic details and facts about the stories in addition to doing our best to bring some insight that will be helpful to you. In addition to those, Kevin and I are each going to bring one story that has personally been of interest to us or has impacted us over the past month as two, and those can be large, small, serious, lighthearted, anything in between. So we're going to go ahead and jump in with our very first story, which Kevin and I have decided is this month's biggest story, and many of you who are listening are likely familiar with it, the spa shootings in Metro Atlanta. One of those, in fact, is just down the road from us where we are in the metro Atlanta area, and so it has resonated a bit closer to home as it does feel like it's somewhat in our backyard on the national scale. So what happened? Many of you, as I said, are probably familiar, but just as a quick recap, so earlier this month, there was this 21-year-old man from Woodstock who shot and killed eight people during three separate attacks on spas in the metro Atlanta area, and six of those who were killed were Asian women. Now, this has happened in a time when there has been renewed attention to hate crimes against Asian Americans. And so as we enter this discussion, we're really going to talk about it from two vantage points. One, the racial implications, and then also the sexual implications and some of the purity culture. So, Kevin, talk a little bit first about how we enter into this from a racial perspective and what that looks like and some of the the trends that have been happening in the U.S. Yeah, I think in light of the the attacks on uh, Asians recently... Throughout the country, and it's not even, it's peaked recently. It's been going really for a year, uh, specifically with the coronavirus and and some people wanting to blame um, Chinese or Asians in general. I think it's a natural inclination. You want to have a blame, but obviously um, shooting some random people doesn't help with with everything we've been through. And so uh, what is, what's interesting about this case, though, is he does not appear to be related in a, you know, get out of our country or you brought us the coronavirus or we need to stop China. And and to be sure, these are happening. There's some thousand something incidences over just the past month or two of, of those exact things. People taking blame uh, or Asians taking blame and people blaming them and attacking them, uh, you know, hate crimes, racial crimes, whatever, whatever they're called in different states. And um, or, or, you know, the jobs, the, the just the general animus between us and China right now. So you see this kind of outflowing from the coronavirus, from politics. This does not appear to be the case here. Um, granted, he, he said it had nothing to do with race. And I don't know, I don't take the word of, of you know, someone who just went up and murdered eight people one day as, as being very important. But, and I do think he's wrong, but I, I agree in his sense, I believe. I mean, more facts will come out. We'll, we'll know more about him soon. He said it had nothing to do with race. He was trying to stop himself from temptation. He was trying to avoid temptation. So that may not be related as explicitly to these other crimes. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
pollen is pollen is about one <laughs> percent of our air has pollen high. right now. It's quite so high in, in Atlanta right if now. I, if I sound a little funny, uh, but he, he's saying race and how to do with it. And I, I think he's wrong there because there's some sort of clear otherization. He's he's racializing uh, these you know massage therapists, the the massage parlors. He's looking at them thinking either from their profession or from the fact that they were Asian or, or mostly Asian or Asian-owned businesses that they must, you know, he, he's sexualizing them based on their race mm-hmm. and profession or some combination of both. And so he's saying, well, these Asian people uh, are, are tempting me more. Mm-hmm. Um, never got a clear answer on what the race of the other two people are. I'm, I'm assuming they're white, but, uh, you know, there's kind of a guilt by association of being part of this. So if, you know, the majority being Asian, there's clearly a... a reference there and maybe he thinks that whoever these other two people were you know must be related as well they must be more tempting so there's certainly this otherization Mm -hmm. and it's it's clearly race-based and and Mm -hmm. we would like to deny it uh, because you know we don't like to think that we have these issues in America Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's clearly plays a role here yeah, and you know, the, I mean, we're, we're going to talk a little bit more about the, the specific twist that this one brings to it, um, with, especially within the context of, of the Christian community and the church itself. But it is really important to understand the fact that this really is one more in a line of, of a, you know, a increasing attacks on Asian Americans that have happened over this past year. And I, I have a stat here that we pulled that said there, there was one group that was tracking these incidents and said that there have been about 3,800 incidents reported just since this time last year. And I don't have the exact percentage increase. Um, we'll probably link to the article in our show notes. You guys can have full access to that. But it really is is showing that that increase, and to your point of the otherization. Um, and just earlier this week, and many of you may have seen this as well, that, that video of the woman on the streets of New York who was attacked by a man just walking past her and he kicks her and then once she's on the ground he kicks her again with no regard for the fact that she is a human um she has dignity in and of herself and even the people who were watching inside the security guards of the of the building they were right outside closes the door on her after this happens as if to say we're just going to ignore this because we don't recognize essentially that you would warrant help and assistance and a stepping in to address the situation. And it's just heartbreaking to, to think that this is happening. And I think as a as a society, we need to take a hard look at ourselves and how we're doing this, but also within our churches to make it top of mind that, you know, we're called to love all people, regardless of, of race, race and ethnicity, country of origin, sexual orientation, anything of that, like every person is made in the image of God and therefore demands our respect and dignity. Um, so I just... Right. The... Yeah. the video of the the security guard shutting the door and i don't i don't know if he's a christian or not so i won't judge him on that basis but that's that's almost the picture of the good samaritan yeah that's a good I point mean, not the samaritan <laughs> yeah. the the priest and the levite right there yeah. uh who who crossed the street to avoid him they, they see this woman beaten she was hospitalized yes and they're like yeah we should probably just shut the door because that's weird let's uh yeah. let's leave her alone and that's not really you know in the whole racial discussion has gotten very polarized and, mm-hmm. and we try to avoid politics uh t- to some extent for some of these because we want to broaden out and people get too bogged down but you know caring for someone or caring about you know these these attacks on asians because they're asian is not some sort of like marxist conspiracy mm-hmm. this, this is just it's it's loving your neighbor and it's mm-hmm. acknowledging what's happened to them and um a friend of ours and resplendently bearded youtuber steve heimler has a great uh, video up, I think it came out last week, 
on uh, called Stop Asian Hate, and his channel's mm-hmm. called Retrospect. Uh, he's a historian, and he talks about the, um, I don't know, just current events and, and kind of a historical nature of it, and then throws a little bit of a you know evangelical Christianity in there. So obviously that's something we appreciate and like, and we'll link to his video on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, because he also pivots, uh, which I think is something we want to, you know, while acknowledging the the clear, you know, racist undertones of this one and then all the other clear attacks on Asians that are definitely happening, we do want to talk about the kind of the twist ending of this. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not the ending yet, but it, as the news was reporting on it, it seemed very clear, hate crime type, you know, it's a guy with a gun, he shoots Asians, people are mad at Asians, that sort of thing. But when they asked him why he did it, if it wasn't race-based, he told him it was to avoid temptation. And so it came out very quickly. You've probably seen 30 articles out now. New York Times ran multiple ones mm-hmm. about purity culture. Mm-hmm. And it's important at this point to note that that he is, a, at least until recently, um, was a member of an evangelical Christian church in the metro Atlanta area. And so it ties him into the, the, the Christian community <clears throat> and the burden for us to understand what's happening so that we can respond to it well. So. Yeah, it was, it was a Southern Baptist church about 15 minutes from from our house where we're recording this. And the church itself is part of a, a group within the SBC that is, you know, a little more politically active and more conservative. You know, uh, you know, 30 million members, you're going to have some factions that are a little more conservative, a little more whatever it may be. And so it, it is touching us. This mm-hmm. is where a lot of this is where we live. And this is where, you know, a lot of uh, our listeners live and. You know, being on the conservative end of the spectrum, this purity culture, and we're not going to dive too deep into this. We'll we'll link some of this. Um, I saw a few pretty good articles on it. We'll put one or two up, and I'll point out that Kevin DeYoung, who Krista doesn't think many people know, um, so you know, in the comments or when you find her on Instagram, <laughs> if I'm wrong, let, let Kevin her know, know <laughs> so we can hold it over me. <laughs> I mean, Gospel Coalition celebrity pastor for well over a decade, but that's that's fine. So Krista doesn't know a famous. Christian. No, I know him. Pastor. I'm not sure he's as well known as Kevin. To be clear. <laughs> okay. So, but Continue anyway, on. so Kevin DeYoung points to to some nuance. He he says, you know, it's not, you know, it can't be this purity culture thing. He he kind of comes out against it, and I think he makes some good points as far as what about all the other people in the church? They didn't shoot anybody and that sort of thing. But he also interestingly comes from outside of it, and you know, uh, David French, who I'll talk about later too had a little bit about it because I believe he said his wife grew up in it and based on what she's saying, and then if you read posts and other articles or podcasts from people who grew up in it, they say, oh yeah, I, I could see this. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, there's kind of two parts. One, one, this is America. We're completely fine with with people being shot. I mean, a week didn't even go by and we had a shooting of 10 people in, uh, in Colorado and it's, it's just part of the news cycle. So the, the shooting aspect isn't necessarily, so what's up for debate, I guess, is the the purity culture and we're driving, and there hasn't been violence from the purity culture. So I understand what, what Kevin is saying, Kevin DeYoung, not me in the third person, obviously. And, but people who grew up in it, you could say, yeah, because he said he was trying to avoid temptation. And, and now it should be noted that he was in kind of a treatment center, uh, I guess a, a therapy group that was across the street or near the, one of the places he shot. So that, that his, that was his familiarity with it. Um, but it's clear that as part of this, and, and we weren't in it as bad as some other people seem to have been. I believe our church did purity rings. I should say when I was in high school, I was in a Southern Baptist church. Mm-hmm. I think they did purity rings. I don't, But that's, of course, for women. Mine did one. I had you one. You did. You had one. Yeah, okay. I had one. 
So did men do them? Men didn't do them, right? I really don't remember. So there's an issue right there. But yeah, but it it was definitely more about the the woman side of the purity culture for sure. Yes. And I remember that. And, And that's so clearly he's he's saying, I need to kill these people to avoid sin. And, and of course, there's biblical language, you know, flee from sin, free from, flee from temptation. Um, you know, that's biblical. Obviously, that doesn't mean murder people. I think everyone can agree on that. But I think what kind of caught our eye and what's coming up publicly about this and why we view it as Christians wanting to talk about it um, is, you know, being conservative evangelicals. Obviously, purity culture was a lot of, part of a lot of our listeners probably. If you were in, if you were in church in high school, from what, 92 to probably, I don't know if Roughly, it's still, yeah, probably know. still going on. Maybe it's waned. I really don't know. I'm not in high school anymore. So it's, it was very much, really, it seemed like it was one of the worst things possible that could exist with sexual sin. And it is bad. And Paul obviously talks about, you know, it's a sin against the body and is worse than other sins. Mm-hmm. But the the amount of time spent on that, I believe, is just, it's excessive. Mm-hmm. Um especially kind of in light, and, and it's a little tangential, but uh, Barna Research Group, which is a conservative evangelical group that does polling, kind of like uh, Pew Research and some of these major Gallup poll people, and they polled Christians, and they asked them about the Great Commission. And the headline number was only, I'm going to get it backwards now, it's either 49 or 51%, so let's just say half of people could tell you what the Great Commission was. Well, when you dove into it and you saw the actual numbers, one of the numbers was, you know, one of the answers, and I think it was like 10%, was I don't know. Well, if you don't know whether you know what it is, you clearly don't know mm-hmm. it. So if you broke down into it, it looked like only 17% of self-professed evangelicals know the Great Commission. Yeah. That is insane. Meanwhile, youth groups, not all of them, okay, to, to be clear, but many, and, and specifically what we're talking about today, are spending all this time on these, there's purity rings, and apparently purity mm-hmm. balls, and father-daughter dances where they talk about purity and then those people leave the church and don't even know what the Great Commission is. Yeah. And and this is just... I... Yeah, so so as far as, like, I mean, the, the whole point of bringing this story up is that it is, it's been hugely impactful in our culture. We've all likely seen the news. We've been impacted by it, have, have been wrestling with, with what we do with it as believers and as Christians and as the church as a whole. And where we come away with is really being mindful within our own families and within our own churches and how we, we teach and bring up those within the church and discipling, I mean, to, to the point you just made of placing our teaching upon things like the Great Commission first and, and orienting our church, in, even in that simple of a direction, um, and speaking into that culture and being able to to also place importance on that you are essentially responsible for your own sin, that others mm-hmm. aren't in that culture, that it's not, you are making me sin, therefore I will cause you harm, but, but taking a, a more personally responsible approach to that as well and not it kind of goes into that whole thing of otherizing like it's it's always going to be someone else's fault and not your own and I think that's prevalent in our culture as a whole and it's showing up in some of these ways as this undercurrent of what's allowing these huge extreme manifestations of that gone awry like it is right now yeah and you know the way what we say to our sons and daughters we have we have both Mm -hmm. and I believe our (laughs) Are, the way we talk to women, obviously I wasn't a woman and I don't know, I have no direct, but hearing you and hearing other people talk mm-hmm. about it and kind of seeing some of the outer aspects of it is in no way the way we're going to talk to our daughter mm-hmm. about sex and dating and marriage and all that sort of thing. And of course, I think there is a high responsibility. You know, I think we need to talk to our sons different, but it's much worse, you know, and 
on on women and and what they've kind of the way this mm-hmm. kiss dating goodbye late nineties early two thousand. Oh yeah, I had it's, I had like three or four of the books that some of you can probably think of in your head that we probably read or were told that we should read. And I remember very clearly being made to think at certain times that I was responsible for for other people's temptation into sin and was told such at different times throughout my life. And as a younger Christian and a younger woman in general, those are hard to to take in and know what to do with. And as you wrestle through the faith and grow, hopefully in wisdom and maturity, you can start to place those appropriately, but they can leave some some really some really big scars for some people. And I think that that's an important thing that the church should be addressing. So hopefully this will open up some conversation about that as well within churches. And we can take a good hard look at how we are having those conversations as well in the future. We need a healthy view on, on sex. I'll just say this and we'll wrap up because this has already gone longer than we thought. But the I remember being in high school and, uh, you know, I think it was a college kind of a intern maybe or whoever, and he was kind of discipling a group of us. And He's talking about lust, and of course, lust is is confusing. Like, what is lust? Is, mm-hmm. is it when I when I look at that woman when she walks by? Is that you know, especially when you're a teenager, because you're just consuming lust, especially <laughs> as a teenage boy. Like, and so you're like, oh man, I don't want to sin too much, and and so it's it's really the number one topic of conversation for anyone who works with you know youth or high schoolers. Like, good good for y'all, um, but y'all know what I'm talking about. And I remember asking this guy like for def- like, well, what if you are married? What if I'm sitting at my office one day and I'm thinking, hey, I want to go have sex with my wife when I get home. Is that lust? And he told me straight up, if you're thinking about having sex with your wife while you're at work and you're supposed to, then there is something wrong with you. Mm, yeah. So he was incorrect. And uh, that's just not a healthy view. That That's just, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the whole the whole thing needs to yeah. be redone, yeah. what we're doing. So Cracking it open. Let's take a look at it as a church and, and hopefully have a, a good step forward um, as a church to really address those important conversations, but in a really healthy way. So we're going to go ahead and segue into our next. We've already spent a couple more minutes than we had anticipated on this first story, but we're, fi- we're, you know, we're figuring out our rhythm for this new month in review. And our first story is likely always going to be the biggest. So it does have that prime spot where we're going to spend the most attention on it. And we have three more stories for you. The, the second is one that we both identified as well as a large one for the month of March. And it is the fact that Beth Moore officially announced in March that she was leaving the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, this is incredibly important for those of you who are familiar with Beth Moore. And even for those of you who aren't familiar with Beth Moore, you likely know her name because she has been a household name for biblical teaching, particularly for women, for decades. She is probably the most well-known woman within evangelical teaching circles. Yeah, and if she's not the most, she's within the top three, sure. I would say. Um most of you likely have have heard a woman in your church talk about doing her studies or going to her conferences or any of those things. And so she has been a very, very visible, influential woman within the Southern Baptist Convention, the SBC. And so this announcement is huge and has sent really big ripple effects throughout the church. And it's it's the next in a line of departures from the from the SBC, really. But hers is in particular very interesting because of the way in, in which it happened and and the way it happened after a year or two when she became increasingly outspoken during during Donald Trump's presidency and, and the way that she well, talked really started about, with the yeah. um, the Hollywood, the Access Hollywood yes. tape back when it was candidate Trump. I, I can't remember if he had won the yeah, you know he'd won the primary. He was a Republican candidate. Mm-hmm. And she basically put out there like, Oh wow, this is gonna sink. You know, it's gonna be hard for us to get a Republican in now, like what's gonna happen? And kind of her dismay you know, especially in light of the way 
Bill Clinton was rightly criticized by evangelicals. Some of the same ones turned and said, well, it's okay. Mm-hmm. And she kind of spoke out and said, no, this this isn't okay. Like, this is not the kind of language you would want to use. And instead of people, large-scale pastors agreeing with, now there were some, but in, in we're not going to rehash the whole four years of political debate here, but a lot of people said, well, it's okay. Mm-hmm. And she was attacked for it, and it brought her a lot of prominence because she kind of fought back, I think, you know, some of the bigger outlets, New York Times and um, Time Magazine, I think, had her on the cover. So it's she got a lot of attention for pushing back mm-hmm. on this as, as, I guess, I don't know if she ever even stated she was a never-Trumper. She just said, look, this man is morally unfit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there were famous never-Trumpers like uh, Russell Moore, the head of the ERLC, you know, a Christian lobbyist group. You've probably heard of him, hopefully. Um, no relation. He has a great article or I guess it's just his letter, but he talks about her and part of it, and he points out that this this isn't a this isn't a heresy thing. She didn't turn against Christian teaching, biblical teaching about you know sex or transgenderism. Uh, she's not leaving the church, which we'll get to someone about that in a minute who kind of had that trajectory. Uh, there's some rumor that maybe she wants to preach, and of course the SBC kind of more or less depending on which church doesn't ordain women to preach. It's a little convoluted because they're not technically a denomination, but we won't get into all that. Mm-hmm. But she left, and she's probably just the most famous. They have been losing multiple, dozens and dozens of uh, full, you know, black churches, uh, churches led by black pastors. There are members of the Southern Baptist, which is a crazy thing to think about anyway, just because of the origins of the Southern Baptist and how they've been with Keith. And I think that there are so many black churches, and they have just been like, look, guys, you have fully embraced Trump. And that's fine. Vote Trump, vote Republican, you know, vote Democrat, vote whoever else. There's whatever, all the other third parties that don't matter because of our mm-hmm. system. But don't embrace it and say, vote for him or, you know, you're woke or you're a Marxist. I mean, Tim Keller's been called a Marxist. He's had to waste his time. It's it's just nuts. And, you know, as Christians, we have the freedom to vote for, for whoever we want. And for someone who spent, again, I think almost 30 years publishing books, not even independent book, it was the SBC publishing yep. arm. Mm-hmm. And... So again, you know, and there's probably some criticism. I've never read any of her books. Uh, I'm sure there's things I would disagree, maybe theologically or some of her interpretations. But if this was a theological issue, a biblical issue, mm-hmm. it, it would have come up sometime over the past couple of decades. This is truly us having the politics. We're allowing politics to divide us, to push people out of the church. And it's just, this is just kind of a wild instance because she's such a famous outspoken supporter of the Southern Baptist Church to be leaving mm-hmm. is just, and for something over a political candidate who's not even in office anymore, it's just, it's pretty wild. Yeah, it is. So that's a good segue into our next one. So we, we have two more. So I'm going to bring one now and then Kevin's going to bring one. And this is one that has, has personally been impactful for me this month. And it's, it's also about someone leaving the church, but for different reasons. There is a a singer-songwriter named Audrey Assad, who many of you may listen to and know. She has been, for me, one of my greatest songwriting influences in the trajectory of my songwriting career. I love her work. I think she is brilliant, and I I could listen to her music for hours. And I, I kid you not, when I need inspiration or when I'm stuck on something, I go to her music because I find in it so much. And so I have been following her, as you would probably guess, for several years because of that. And I don't follow her every day on social media, but I have a general working knowledge of when she has new music out or she puts something big out 
We, we often in our churches sing songs by her or her arrangements of certain hymns because she's done a couple hymns and some hymn projects over, over the years as well. And so earlier in March, she made a formal announcement on her social media accounts that she was no longer a practicing Christian, which was really, in some ways, not entirely surprising because over the past couple of years, the way she had been talking about certain things, you you may have guessed that she was headed that direction. She talked openly about struggles and wrestling through faith and doubts. She was a practicing Catholic. That is, to my knowledge, her upbringing. Um, but her her relationship with the church and with and with the, the scriptures and with the Psalms and with the liturgies and even with some of our, our our older theologians, like she would pull such rich material from them in her writing, that it struck me as almost impossible, which, you know, is, is not the case, but that, that someone could could write from a place of such truth and yet still be able to, over the course of these past couple of years, find her way so disconnected from it um, that she would, as of this month, tell everybody essentially that she was no not just no longer a practicing Catholic, but was no longer a practicing Christian. And isn't so much in the sense of, I've just stopped all religion. She is actually starting to now promote this more new age spiritual healing and hosting different things along these lines for women talking about um, things like there is no hell. And so it's this freeing thought of don't imprison yourself in a hell on earth because there really isn't a hell afterward. And, and going down a path that is, you know, quite, quite obviously it's it's not biblical, but she has such a a following that there is, there is a sadness and a a lament in my heart because I know of, of, of what she has provided and what she has been to so many. And so for me, it's been something that I've, I've struggled with and putting those two things together. And so when I was thinking of what does a month in review for me look like, it is basically thinking through what my relationship with this artist now looks like for someone I have looked up to. And so, you know, as you can probably imagine on social media, she, she shares this and she gets a huge range of responses. There are people who are like, yes, go you, this is your truth and you just speak it and live it and don't apologize. And then there are people who are condemning her to hell (laughs) and saying, I can't believe you and all these things. And of course, neither one of those are good places to land, but there are these, of course, these middle voices that have been gracious and thanking her for what she has provided to the church community and who I, I believe will continue to, to, to listen to the music that does uplift them and provide truth and and to, to pray for her along the way too. Because anytime a, a brother or sister falls away from the faith, our, our primary call is to pray for them and over them and to to hope and pray for, for them to be um, drawn back in to, to the love of Christ. And and so that's been this place where I've I've been personally sitting in that and you know, I, I haven't in any way decided to stop listening to her music. I think that that would be, you know, an incorrect decision because I also listen to many non-Christian artists mm-hmm. and I have no problem listening to any of them. Uh, but it does it does make it a slightly different relationship because so much of her music is infused with this rich Christian theology and these biblical um, pieces of it. And so it's just been interesting for me to to grieve that and to hope and to pray for that and someone that I've really looked up to. And and so I share that because many of you may, may know her and I would encourage you if you do follow her to, to continue listening to her, but to also be to be mindful of, of this situation. And um, I guess as she writes new material, it's important to understand that she is writing from a different place as well. But it's just one of those things that's been on my heart to share because it's been hugely impactful to me. So. Yeah, that's, a, that's always tough to see. I know oh. I had a few childhood um, 
they were never worship leaders or things like this, but they were broadly Christian. And then you hear them years later and they talk about their spiritual journey that they're on. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's always like, oh, okay, well, that's that's too bad. And, and you pray for them, you hope they come back. And um, yeah, it's too bad. Yeah. All right, well, over to you. What's what's your story for this month? All right, uh, another person I'm supposed to introduce because Chris says y'all don't know who they are is David French, who has the awesomely named uh, letter, The French Press. So he's a conservative evangelical writer. I think he sp- speaks often about politics. Again, it's hard to know because that's all anyone's talked about for the past four years. Uh, this is not about politics, don't worry. I said we weren't going to do it too much, and uh, we spent a lot of time on it already. But he, and we'll link this in the show notes too, but he has his article out, I don't know, a couple Sundays ago, and it's based on a survey that was done of, you know, the different religious groups as, I think, Pew or maybe, kind of the way the political scientists talk about America. You hear white evangelicals on the news all the time, and there's no, you know, really theological basis. It's all self-identification. So they break us, the American people, into like nine groups who think, you know, Catholics, um, black Protestants, people who are atheists, people who have no religion, and so they polled all them about getting the vaccine, and um, evangel- white evangelicals uh, were the least likely to say they could get it. And that's that's fairly shocking. Again, I think that has some infusion from the politics. But generally, evangelicals have not been an anti-vax group. Anti-vax is usually like in that 3% range, just across the spectrum. You're super conservative. You're super liberal. Um, you don't know how to read correctly. Those are the type of people that say, I'm going to avoid a vaccine because I've read something on Facebook and just because you're a doctor doesn't mean anything. <laughs> so it was really odd to see because it, it was a it was a huge gap. Um, and and I, I think in a few years from now, maybe four or five years, when, and I don't think this is long lasting. I think this is specifically about the coronavirus vaccine, um, which I'm, I'm happy to say Chris and I actually both got ours yesterday. So we did. My arm is sore right now. But other than that, uh, feeling good, which is nice. The... The second question they asked, though, was about what are your concerns for other people? So it, it takes the virus, it takes the um, the the onus of getting the vaccine. Like, is it? Are you afraid of getting the virus first? Are you afraid of the vaccine? Those sort of things, and just changes the question and says, how important is it to you to protect other people in the community? And White evangelicals were the only group to be under 50%. Hmm. We were the least likely group. So, for instance, our, our uh, black Protestant brothers were, I believe, either either them or or Hispanic Catholics. Uh, we're up there in the high 70s or low 80s, right? Because, I mean, this, this is loving your neighbor. Mm-hmm. So maybe you're not worried about getting I'm personally not very worried about getting coronavirus. Um, I'm young. I'm healthy. I've been wearing a mask. I go to work every day. I feel like I've learned how to live with it. I, but you can still spread it. You can still hurt mm-hmm. people. So the second part of the question is, how concerned are you about other people? Yep. And it was just so disheartening to see that we're the only people below. So less than half of us are saying, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't, I don't care about that. But that, that's not the call Christ gives us. Uh, you know, the, the, the story of, of the Good Samaritan, it, the idea is that, you know, love your neighbor wasn't the new thing. You know, that's, that's a ancient thing. That, that was in the Old Testament, obviously. The idea was everyone's your neighbor. Mm-hmm. You know, any other any other person made in God's image is your neighbor, and you owe it to them to take care of them mm-hmm. and love them. And stopping a, a fairly easily preventable spread by getting this shot or two, it, it's just, I can see if you're scared and you have concerns, but to see that we were the least likely was just, just really disheartening. And it goes back a little bit to the political influence, I think, 
Um, so I do hope that fades. That's my hope for that. Um, yeah. in, in a related thing, I know we're crunch on time. I know some of you may have also seen, you know, related to that that came out. A, um, actually, I don't know if he's a pastor. I'm not entirely sure what he is. But he said that empathy itself was unbiblical. Oh, yeah. I remember seeing that. And I, I, I don't really have anything to say about that. But that, that's clearly, like, please read the Bible. And also, I'd say there's a lot, I saw a lot of liberal Protestants who all of a sudden want, want to talk about these sort of things. Um, you know, they went to the, for we do not have a God who does not sympathize. And they changed that to empathize. I do want to make clarification. Uh, I get what they're getting at, but they are changing the literal Greek. It is, it is sympathized. They, it, so we don't go that far and say that, that, but clearly empathy mm-hmm. is a biblical concept. It's certainly not unbiblical. Yeah. And to see evangelical Christians say we shouldn't be empathetic and we shouldn't worry about our neighbor, it's just not where I think we want to be right now. Oh, yeah, it's definitely not. And so all of us have responsibility in there to learn how to love our neighbor better. I mean, we do, y'all do, everybody does. That is one of the biggest charges of the church. So let's all work on loving our neighbor more and finding ways to repent for the ways in which we don't all the time. So that's our show for today. We hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, We're figuring our way around these month in review. So we'd love to hear your feedback on whether you found these stories and insights helpful so we can help infuse your thoughts and feedback into the next one. If we should just stick to one because our original goal (laughs) was to go 15 to 20 minutes. And, and here we've we are doubled that. So you guys have learned that we like to talk about these kind of things. So anyway, in closing, we hope that you enjoyed. If you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. You can connect with us on social media. I'm at Carissa Turner on both Twitter and Instagram. And Kevin, excitingly, oh, yeah. has joined right. Instagram. I, am, I, I still so don't know what it is, but him. you can find me on uh, Instagram, Kevin Reviews Books, where, as the name implies, I discuss artisanal cheeses. You can also <laughs> find me at MondayMorningTheologian.com or at the Kevin Turner on Twitter. Thank you guys for joining us. We'll see you next time.